What's going on, guys? Thanks for listening to the LCR Media Podcast. I'm your host, LCR Nailer Tali Farrow. And uh, I hope you enjoyed part one of the Kohler Live panel. Um, I, I originally intended on having all of that on one episode, but when I went back through it, it's well over an hour worth of content. So I figured I'd split it up for you. Sorry to leave you guys hanging uh, on Thursday. Uh, my apologies, but hopefully uh, you, you're back on Tuesday here to uh, listen to the conclusion of this live panel. Again, a lot of listening back myself, a lot of great content, a lot of great Q&A. Had a great time. Can't wait for the next time. Can't wait for the next live event. Can't wait to hang out with you guys and network and just talk shop. It's just, you know, if you know, you know, the energy is real. It's hard to explain. You can only experience. So thank you to the Toro Company for sponsoring the LCR Media Podcasts. And I will catch you guys on the next episode. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of the Kohler Live panel at the Lawn and Landscape Society. So the question was with the uh, variables of gas prices, is it smart to, to plan ahead with a fixed rate on propane? I'm not qualified to answer that. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all gas. Quick trip. Do you want me to talk about I can. And so just like, I think for solar operators, electric's awesome. Um, it's very, very good for uh, especially the hand tools I've found. And even someone like uh, Brad in the back there taught, would probably know the equipment a lot better than us. Um, the, the thing that we kind of see it breaking down on is when you start getting a lot of crew members. So larger organizations, like it's very rare you're going to go down the, the street right now and see a company has 20, 30, 40 employees using electric equipment um, or even propane. Um, and it just, it's hard to find fuel source for propane. Guys mess it up a lot more often. And you're just dealing with, you've got to simplify every single thing for these guys because they will break stuff. Like if you leave one battery at a, at a uh, facility because they forgot it, that's a lot of fuel you can buy. Like a lot of fuel for like a year. That entire machine, a weed whacker, could be operated with just the fuel by leaving one battery behind. So you just keep that in mind. You got to buy a lot of batteries. You got to think about recharging. Okay, do you do solar? Do you plug them at the end of the day? What happens if they forget to charge them at the night? And then you have a crew the next day, morning sitting there doing nothing. Okay, well, then I got to buy a bunch of backup batteries. So there's just a lot more, I think, when you get into the bigger operations that it's still not there yet. And it'll come down in price to the point where it will become the standard. And obviously you got, you know, states like California enforcing it. But uh, for now, like larger organizations, we're not, we're not really, we don't see the math yet on it, but the cost will eventually come to the point where it will make sense to switch over. And um, we'll get there, I think pretty quickly. When I start my lawn care business, I hope to have one. It'll all be electric. I want to test it out and see, um, prove some of these people wrong who are trying to defeat me and, and tell me that it's not a good idea. But uh, I think it's a good idea, running a lawn care business all electric. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of electric, I'll be honest with you. I think everybody that follows my channel knows that. Uh, but I know a lot of you have to be wondering what Mike's working on up here. So I took a picture. He's, oh, he's, he's actually ordering <laughs> a yellow car. Lamborghini right now. <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. That's what Mike's working on. So I would have went with black myself. But, fake news. Fake you know. news. <laughs> Anyways, no, I 100% think electric at some point, you know, is going to be, it's inevitable. It's coming, right? There's tons of money being thrown at it. Uh, me personally, I'm kind of like, I consider myself like an old soul. Uh, there's just nothing like the the sound of a diesel engine or, you know, a gasoline engine. 
you know, you just, you, you turn that electric on, it's like, nee. <laughs> like that just, you know, it's, it just doesn't do it for me. And I think when we get to that point is when I'll probably hang it up. Like, seriously, like I, I got no interest in electric stuff. Any other questions? So the question was, how do you drive traffic to your website to fill out your intake form? Excellent question. SEO. I think Mike should hop in on this. Where's Cody Owen at? I can hear it. So, yeah, we do <laughs> yeah, we, we do have about 300 websites we've built for lawn care and landscapers. So um, we track this a lot, and then we spend a lot on uh, research and development for SEO side of things. So um, over the past 10 years, the ch- thing that's changed with SEO, search engine optimization, is a lot of the fact that it has, doesn't have as much to do with keywords as much now. It really has a lot more to do with the speed of your site. So if your site is old and clunky and like has big images and video files that take a long time to load, Google hates that because they've got to, they've got to, when you type in something to Google and you look in the top right hand corner and say like, you know, one of 1,400,000 results, they've got to load all those results in a split second. And if your site is slow, clunky, takes a long time to load, they're not going to reward you with that. So obviously like things like Google My Business, which is now Google listings, um, is it important getting Google reviews that all helps you in your rankings. Um, but yeah, like getting getting more is, is like ranking high on native is great, but like Google local services, great option to be able to pay and get the very top. Google is promoting this this product like massively. Um, I truly believe if you're a solo operator, you will not need to spend a single dollar in marketing besides Google local services. You're going to pay between $12 and $25 per lead. And um, it's a phenomenal program. In my opinion, it'll replace HomeAdvisor and Yelp. Um, and they're taking direct aim at that, that market because they're, yeah, anyways, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with everything Mike was saying. I wanted to add, excuse me, I've been sitting in the back not talking. Um, SEO is about to be massively disrupted by the way that AI is being implemented into search engines. And it is going to break a lot of people's existing model of writing, you know, keyword driven blog posts. They get people onto their website and get them to convert because now what's going to happen is the AI is going to synthesize your content and spit out an answer without sending them to your website. And so I think that what people need to be preparing for is investing more in paid social ads, getting dense targeting on Facebook and Instagram until the audience is, you know, somewhere else until 35, 40 year olds are on TikTok. We want to be where they're at. Um, and just make sure that you're targeting neighborhood by neighborhood on social. Yeah. One thing we've been looking at a bunch recently, like if you, has anyone used chat GPT? All right, cool. So ChatGPT is this is a thing where you um, type in a question and it gives you a whole bunch of answers or a- it gives you an answer without search. There's no five options or 10 options to weed through. There's like, this is the answer. And so what we're really looking at is, hey, what does it look like in a world where someone searches, long, uh, what's the best long hair service near me? And it's going to pop out one answer. How do you become that? Um, one thing that we're looking at right now, and it's not really clear in terms of what is going to win this yet, but um, I believe that a, a site that's very, very fast load speed and doesn't have a lot of processing power required to get it to upload is extremely important because right now the thing that's holding LLMs, uh, large language models, these chat GPT type uh, AI is the fact that it costs about 10 to 12 times more in processing power than a Google search. And so for right now, like this is why ChatGPT just got $10 billion from, from Microsoft. It's because it takes so much processing power to be able to produce that result. And so um, 
in my opinion, what's going to get really promoted, especially the onset of AI, is going to be sites that load very quickly, that are very light, and don't have a lot of um, uh, a lag time and a processing power required. So it's just, it's just like figuring out a good design that's going to have, you know, your pictures have to be rasterized correctly, make sure they're not like five megapixels and take a long time to load, uh, things like that. Pop-ups aren't really looking good on Google anymore. They don't like it, stuff like that. So I didn't answer because I have a completely different perspective on this. So love it or hate it. But um, in nine years, I haven't had a website. I've had Google My Business and Facebook Business page. And right before COVID, we were almost at 100 accounts in three, just three neighborhoods all surrounding each other. So I just never had a need for any of that. I just had so much word of mouth and the, the, the brand marketing of us just driving through the neighborhoods all the time. They just constantly saw us. And again, Google My Business, when you just fill Google with whatever you need, all the reviews and, and all the Facebook groups in those three closed, those HOAs, those closed Facebook groups, and they, they ask someone moves in, they ask for recommendation. You know, when you have over 20 clients in that neighborhood, you're bound to have multiple people recommend you. And then all of a sudden people just see the company that's recommended multiple times versus all the random other companies. And it almost becomes one person said that it was like, it was almost like peer pressure. She felt like she had to contact me because her entire cul-de-sac was using me and they all recommended me. And, and so it, that's a great place to be. And, and, and transparently enough, I didn't get a website when I first started because I was broke. You know, I went from retail management to starting my lawn care business owner operator. I was like, I need to do everything free. I, I don't have money to invest right now. I'm just trying to survive. So I just never invested in a website. And then I quickly realized how important route density was. And I knew that I could laser focus route density with Facebook and Google my business and just being in the neighborhoods, driving around with starting with just a magnet on my door of my truck to now an enclosed trailer and ramp rack truck and everything's all lettered up. So everybody sees me. And the biggest, best thing that I hear from people when they say, oh, what's the name of your company? Oh yeah, I see your trucks everywhere. We just have one truck. Good job, rookie. And I, I want to add about Facebook micro targeting. Uh, Cody taught me all about this and showed me the back end of how it works. But Facebook actually knows where you live, and so if there's a certain neighborhood that you want to work in, you on Facebook you literally draw a map around that neighborhood, and you can run Facebook ads just in that neighborhood, which is way better than every door direct mail because you control exactly what addresses and streets get your Facebook ads. So I'm a big fan of uh, Cody's walked me through how to set those uh, Facebook micro-targeting ads up. But this is a good question. Any other questions? This, this is a fantastic question. The question is hiring tips. How do you hire someone? What's your strategy? What's your process to hire somebody? I'll just quickly say that I've been using Indeed for a long time. It's it's they they continuously update it with more and more tools and resources and make it very user friendly. All of my staff has been through Indeed. You can cater it to however you want. You can customize questions that they have to ask. You know, you can do phone screening, phone interviews, all types of stuff. You can do virtual now. I'm big on anything that I see new electronically, like social media and Indeed, I jump on it. So, you know, they were advertising the virtual interviewing back over the summer. 
So I was doing that and got lots of credits towards sponsored posts. But in, in addition to sponsoring posts on Indeed, they give you more access to other things. Like they give you hundreds, literally, of applicants that might meet your criteria. And then you can go through yourself and look for who you want to invite to apply to your job versus just waiting for people to apply to your job. So there's a ton of resources with Indeed. Nothing's perfect, but I've been using that forever. And you know, it, I get tons and tons of applicants. Not saying that they're all great, not saying they all last, but it, it's a great start. I've tried Facebook, Craigslist, all that stuff, and none of it works as well for me as Indeed. Uh, I'm sure every area is a little bit different, and there's been times where I've heard a lot of people say you get your best people from your best people. Um, but you have to start with your best. You have to find your best people first, right? So if you're starting from scratch, Indeed is a really good net to cast out and really filter people down. But I know there's a lot of other great advice on this panel that these guys can share. I guess I could go. This is kind of my forte. I have my 17th person in the last month that just started yesterday. So uh, we're right in the middle of all of the hiring. So are you particularly talking about a field guy, a field crew? Okay. So for field crew, we do Indeed, as well as I have been doing Craigslist just to kind of test it against um, Indeed this year, and then for office staff as well. But I quit using Facebook. That didn't seem as profitable or, you know, the best route this time. Um, but there's a couple, well, there's several different ways that you can do it, and we've tried different ones. So you can have a group interview and say that you're going to have a group interview on such and such a night. You can have like 15 people show up can kind of keep an eye on them with somebody else kind of watching too. And then from there, that evening, we give them an invite to come for a working interview and they would come and work with the guys for a few hours. And then the guys would give me feedback. So we tried that one year and that was pretty successful. We got two people out of that group. And then from that second working interview, they came back and had a private interview with Mike. And then we went from there. It's amazing. Um, people that you think would be incredible and then they turned out to be, you know, shysters and then the other way around, somebody who hardly spoke and you could hardly get a word out of them and they were one of the best people we ever had. So uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. You got to dig a little deeper. So that's what we did one year. And then other years we've had them come. Um, I have done virtual and the one thing you can't uh, see virtually is if they're, you can't smell them, number one. So you can't smell if they're using some sort of drug or anything and you can't see their legs or their hands like their body language if they're shaking trembling um you can just see what you can see here right and so they can hide quite a bit there so i've used that for office staff um and for field staff only for screening them i would just um do the first um thing virtually or on the phone and then have them come in person Another way you can do it is you can have um, all kinds of questions. So you should have like your specific questions. I have 19 and you can almost act robotic. So you can say, I know in 30 seconds if I don't want this person and I feel like I have to endure the next two to five minutes putting up with them. Like, how do you get them out the door when you absolutely know you don't want them? So what I do is um, I say, I am only here today to get your references from you. And then we'll see if you move forward in the estimate in the estimate in the hiring process. So if it's definitely a no, I just cut it short at that and have them give me the references. And I tell them I highly depend on references and I'll give them a call and we'll get back to you whether you move forward in the interview process if I know they're a no. 
um, if I'm unsure and think maybe I go through all my questions and it's just like, um, the first one is always, you're turning it back on them. So you're saying, what are your hopes and dreams? What are your long-term goals? Have you checked us out? That's a big one. If they haven't looked you up online, why in the world would they want to look work for you if they haven't checked you out a little bit? If they haven't read your reviews, that's a little weird. And also, um, you you want them to have checked you out, number one. And then, um, what was I going to say? Something else about um, them checking you out. Uh, but I just methodically go through all of these questions that I have, and then I might throw a curveball. I might say, tell me about a time when you and somebody else had a huge disagreement in the company, and how did you resolve that? And just, it's not that I care about the answer. I want to hear them talk. I want to hear them, how they resolve things. Um, and, and so I have the set of questions, like scenario questions, and then I have a set of questions about them as a person. Oh, that was what I was going to say. It's odd if they don't ask you questions. So if you tell them about your company and you talk about it a little bit, first I ask them about themselves and I tell them a little bit about the company if I'm thinking they're looking promising. And then if I say, do you have any questions for me? And they say no, like that's weird. Don't you want to know how much you're going to make? Don't you want to know if there's insurance? Um, they're not there to really dial down what they want for a job. They're just, you know, 60 that you threw out there and happened to call them. So body language is a really big thing. You can weed out a lot of people really fast with body language and don't waste your time. Your, your time is money. So if they think you're the owner, they think you're the person in charge of making the decisions, automatically flip it and say, I'm just here to get the information today to get your, uh, your almost said resources, <laughs> your references to get your references. So there's a ton I could say. It's very difficult, and sometimes um, if you hire somebody and they're not a good fit, fire them fast. Just say you're not a good fit. And some people, if I'm not too sure, I'll say, we're going to give it a week. That's what I've been doing the office staff. And if the team, the other team, the trainers don't feel like um, we're a good fit, then we just have an agreement between us that we're not going to move forward. And they like that because they can bow out after the week, or I can say you're not a good fit. One other thing that I remember just now, uh, a peer and mentor of mine locally, who's got a much larger company than me, he said many years ago that he invested all of his time and money into conquering his labor shortage. He just spent all of his energy, all of his time, all of his money sponsoring stuff on Indeed and everything until he got to where he needed to be staffed. And it just made me realize like how simple that might seem, but how many, how few of us maybe do that? Like just, you got to keep your foot on the pedal. You can't, you can't be like, oh, okay, I'm staffed. I'm good. I got a good crew. And then kind of forget about it. You always have to keep building that bench. You have to keep your applications out there. When I worked in retail, some companies I worked for always said now hiring and employees would be like, what uh, are we, uh, we're not getting any hours, but you're still hiring. It's like, well, that's just like the philosophy to keep, cause you never know who you're going to get. You want to keep that door open cause you can always make room, find room for good people. Cause you're always just like with your clients, always trying to get rid of the bottom, right? To, to get to, to fill up the top. So it's the same thing with, with your staff. So always be hiring, always be on the lookout, always have your application updated and out there. And just this way you don't get caught, caught off guard. But he focused all of his time, one whole season, trying to do whatever he had to do to get staffed up. And he became successful. Of course he had people come and go and all that, like all of us, but 
you know, the coming, like the people that left, he was three steps ahead and then going back one, you know, he just, he was still building and growing that momentum up because he was continuously looking and, and interviewing and hiring and training and, and all that. So I think that's just something I wanted to add to. Just real quick out of everybody here are just a quick show of hands. How many of you are having issues hiring people? How many of you are lying? Yeah. So majority of you are from the South. I know some of you are from a little bit more north and everything. Is the labor market down here pretty decent? No? Horrible? All right. So it, it seems like it's a, a large portion of the United States. There's hiring issues. But do you allow that to just stop you? I, I've been having issues since 2016, I'd say. Like, you know, when Trump first came in, we've had issues. Before that, I could hire guys at will, you know, 10 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour. Now you can pay them 25, 20. It doesn't matter. They might come in for a week or two, have a bad day. And then, you know, they're off playing video games back at home and doing okay. I think it's just across the board. But what I've come to learn uh, from just being in the community is not to give up and to keep trying. And yeah, you might have had a bad experience with an employee or two or five, uh, but you just keep trying and you don't quit. You know, the, the markets have been going up and down, but, uh, yeah, you just got to keep hiring. I mean, you got to keep hiring. You're going to make mistakes and learn from them. Just a couple of quick tactical things. Um, if you're having problems getting people to the interview, highly recommend SMS texting, not trying to call or email it. Like we do all three, but SMS is by far, we will, they'll get immediate responses to that. And then you hook them in and respond, keep them in the loop. So if you're like booking for three days from now, you're going to text them tomorrow, the day after the day after that. And then like an hour before the interview. Um, another thing is on your onboarding process, so like Liz talked about having a sheet for the interview, but even your onboarding process needs to be dialed in. Like their first day, you don't need to be like, here's a uniform, hop in the truck, let's go. Ideally, there's things to go over, right? And they, ideally, you're going over the things that they, they care about. Like, who do I ask to get time off? Um, is there, you know, how do I, what's the protocol to do that? Like, do you, I get, just ask, and then you just say yes or no. Is it like within two weeks, I'm always automatically approved? Like for us, it's like, if you ask for time off within two weeks, you're going to get it basically all the time. They know that, but they have to ask and they have to go through a specific system to do that. Um, but those are the type of questions that the employees are wondering, like, how do I make more money here? That's a good question. Answer that in the onboarding document on, in the first day when they're with you, right? Um, the questions that are actually going through their head, not just like what policies you have in the business. What's going on, guys? I hope I see you at the huge convention coming up August 23rd through the 25th. You can go ahead and click the link in the episode description to get all of the details about what the huge convention is. I'll just say that it's one of the service industry's premier conferences. I talk all about it in episode 251. 251, if you go back to that episode on the LCR Media Podcast, I sit down with the CEO of the huge convention, and we talk all about the origins and what it's going to have uh, this year in Nashville, Tennessee. Great location. It's been there for many years. It's been going on for many, many, many years. Tons of great information for all entrepreneurs, lawn, landscape, window cleaning, pressure washing. The, the list goes on and on and on. All service industry. Myself. Paul Jameson of the Green Street Podcast, John Pajak with Profits with Pajak, Keith Kalfas. We're all going to be there podcasting at Pod Row along with a lot of special guests. We're going to be interviewing attendees as well as the panelists, speakers such as Marvin Salcedo, who's going to be one of the speakers with Salcedo Lawns. Uh, we're going to be interviewing him and so on. Lots of great content going to be coming through that way. You guys are invited. 
definitely check it out. Like, like I said, the link is in the episode description. And if you put in code podcast, you save $25 off. Or if you just click the link, it automatically will put a uh, podcast in there. The link that's in the episode description. I hope I see you guys there. Welcome to Toro Tuesday. This week, I wanted to focus on probably arguably one of my favorite, if not the favorite, multi-force attachment. It is one of their newer attachments at the time of the recording of this. It's called the Mulch Force. So it's the Multi-Force Mulch Force, a little bit of a tongue twister there if you say that a bunch of times fast. Uh, but it's, as it says, all about mulch. Um, you know, it's not meant for you to be putting heavy things like rocks and dirt and things like that. It's really specifically meant for mulch, which pairs up nicely with turf care. I mean, you know, you're, you're cutting people's grass. A lot of times they, they're asking you if they you can freshen up their mulch beds or install fresh new mulch, um, regardless of what time of year you do that in. Uh, instead of using like a buggy, a powered buggy or a powered wheelbarrow, or even I've used in the past dingoes, Toro dingoes with the, you know, get the biggest bucket attachment they have and you just scoop up the mulch and you just drive it to where you got to go, dump it. And it's basically, instead of, so you don't have to push the wheelbarrows, especially if it's long distances and if it's uphill and so on, you're trying to do whatever you can to save that energy because as those of you may or may not know, Doing mulch is is in some cases backbreaking, but it's definitely uh, hard work. It's it's exhausting. You know, to, again, depending on how far you have to go back and forth pushing the wheelbarrow with full of mulch. You know, if you have bigger wheelbarrows, it's going to be more mulch you're going to fill it up with. It's even more, but you're going to take less trips because you're being able to transport more mulch. Um, with bigger ones, one wheel, two wheel, all these pros and cons, but it's you're still pushing wheelbarrows back and forth, and especially if you're going uphill. That's that's brutal. Um, going, you'd rather be going downhill, you know, with, with the full wheelbarrow, and then uphill with an empty one. But either way, you're just exhausting yourself, wearing yourself down. Anyone that's working with you or for you, so anything that you can do to eliminate that or alleviate that is going to increase your productivity. So the mulch force is basically a, a bucket um, that's attached to your multi-force, your Toro multi-force onto the front and uh, your low, your low flow hydraulics hydraulically control that. So not only are you filling that up, you know, with, with the mulch, uh, which you can put, it moves up to 10.7 cubic feet, uh, 250 pounds of mulch, but you can go up to speeds of 10 miles an hour on the mower, right? So not only can you fill that up, and then use the mower to quickly get from place to place to where you need to dump the mulch. But when you get there, you don't even have to get off of the mower and do anything manually. You just use the the uh, the controls for the hydraulics to just uh, lift the bucket up and dump it over, just like you were if it was like a dump truck or a dump bed, and you lift it up and you dump everything out. So now you have that in the front of your mower, so you can just easily do that. You can dump a little bit at a time if you've got smaller sections or smaller mulch beds, you know, they're not that wide or deep or whatever. And you just need to dump a little pile here, a little pile there, or you can just go right up to a big open uh, mulch bed and just dump the entire thing in there, back up, you know, uh, close it back down and go ahead and drive off, drive back to the mulch pile and fill that back up. So to me, this is such a time saver, such an energy saver, which increase your profits because you can get more done with less time, less energy. I mean, you can really, especially if you're a solo operation, 
just having this alone is going to help you get more mulch jobs done. Yes, you still got to get out there and spread the mulch, but that's, you know, then that's all you got to do is spread the mulch. That's half the battle. You're not exhausted from pushing the mulch back and forth, you know, with wheelbarrows, getting it from point A to point B, and then having to spread it all. You know, you're still going to have to shovel the, the, the mulch into the, the, the mulch force, just like you would into a wheelbarrow, but at least, you know, you know that that's all you're doing with the energy wise. You're not then also having to push it up and down or wherever you got to go long distances. So it's been a total game changer and, and back saver uh, for me in my business. I used it last year for mulch season and, and it's, it's phenomenal. So I just really like those details that I just uh, mentioned. If you want all the visuals, again, as always, if you want to see what it looks like, see it in action, little video clips, things like that, you can go ahead on the link in the episode description for Toro.com. That'll take you right there to check out everything you need to know about the mulch force. And Jason, we cut for break, and Jason said he had an answer for that previous question. I was telling Mike uh, my thoughts. I, I use some mow grass and I'll spray weeds, and, and I try to not say this too loud, but I, you make more money spraying weeds than you do mowing grass. And I didn't understand it for years. I'd sit there and watch these people spray grass while I was out there mowing grass, and I, I had no idea they were making more money than, than mowing. So that's just... I don't know if that I don't know if anybody knows that or not, but just generally speaking, you do. I know it's different for every people. But I, my point was, I was talking with Mike was that I think a lot of people they don't make enough money with their business to be able to hire somebody, and so you know, for twelve to fifteen dollars an hour, you're probably just not going to get a whole lot. But the problem is the business is not profitable enough to justify paying more than that, and so you're left with low quality employees, high turnover, and and maybe. And they making less money. That that's been my experience. Again, I, I work solo, but I, I've observed a lot of people, and they end up uh, have a little small business with two, three employees, and they end up going back to solo. That was more headache than it was worth. Well, I think that's not necessarily bad hiring. It, it's your business is not that profitable to to be able to afford a, a quality employee. So Jamie's question was, where do you see the industry going the next? year and two and i want to add to that like what's your strategy to earn as much income and profit uh you know personally in the next year or two what's your strategies well i'm sorry naylor's got the route density shirt on which i i think is great and I, to me i, I tell people a lot of business is, is great but it's not great enough you can just drive all over town mowing a random yard here and there i mean that just makes zero sense unless you're doing like high-end landscaping kind of jobs to me that that makes a lot of sense to drive over there to do that but for most people mowing spray and whatever it's just not profitable and i i one time made the argument that i thought efficiency was more important than pricing and i I still definitely believe that. You say, well, I'm just going to go up on people $3 or $5, you know. Well, yeah, that, that helps. But if you're inefficient, I would argue that, that you could charge $3 less in a very efficient matter, um, manner and you probably come out better. Now, I'm not saying don't raise your prices. I, I think that's great. But your efficiency is more important, in my opinion. Because at some point, you can only charge what you can charge. And, you you know, if you just get too crazy with the prices, um, but you can always hopefully be working on your efficiency. And I would think year after year becoming more and more efficient as far as your route density goes. 
and I was talking to somebody earlier who, who told me that he drives an hour to get to his properties, but when he gets there, he has a $3,000 day. So I think there are exceptions. You wouldn't drive an hour to mow four yards, but if you, if there's a, I use the, the illustration is fishing. If you know you could drive your fishing boat an hour and catch a bunch of fish over there, then it might be worth driving over there, you know? So I think there's exceptions to the rule. Um, if you think you can eventually develop a, a good day's work in that area, then it may be worth driving a little further. I'll just say as far as my goals and what I'm focusing on for, for the future for this year and going forward, every year I try to refine things for my business, you know, like whether it be years ago when I added cards on file for everyone or, you know, raising your prices every, every year by certain percentage, different uh, services and so on. There's always something that I do. And this year it was converting everyone to 12 month billing. And I filtered some people out that shouldn't have been my clients anyway. Like over the last year, few years, I really realized who I want to have and who I don't like you think sometimes, you know, you have all the right people until things hit the fan. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get emails that you're like shocked that you got this email from this person and they're less understanding or whatever the deal is. Those are people that you just didn't want in the first place. They're not on board. And what I've also realized is any, if you're any change that you make is okay with your best client, then it's okay. And, and if anyone else complains about it, then they just weren't your ideal client. So just let them go find somebody else. So that's what I do every year this year. That was a big one. So I definitely uh, shrunk down, filtered more people out that way. And now we're going to get explode again in, in March and April with more people. But now we have room for the right people. We can be more particular make sure our, our prices are, are as profitable as they can be. All of our equipment, our setups all dialed in, crews getting all filled up and ready to go. Um, I am curious about the whole uh, electric, you know, everything's going electric or going in that direction. So my goal this year is to partner with different brands to see how that can fit with my business and then just share that with everybody else to see how they can maybe incorporate that with theirs. If it does work, doesn't work. Cause to Sean's point, it's, it's just going to be a thing eventually. Um, so we might as well get ahead of it now instead of just, you know, just being like, well, whatever. Um, if, if we can, if it works out for, for you. So I'm just dabbling around with it and seeing what, what can and can't work and how I can maybe make it work for me. I think personally, just I kind of have a little insight because I do work so closely with a lot of companies. Right now, to me, what I'm seeing is everybody is trying to get as much data as they can. They're trying to collect as much information as they possibly can. And it's only for the future. And, you know, we've, we've dabbled with, you know, AI, uh, GPT, open, whatever it was called, open AI. A lot of that stuff got changed around from what it was originally supposed to be. But whether any of us want to admit it, you know, the future our industry is going to change it, it, you know, me as reluctant as I am, you know, I don't want an electric mower. I know it's going to be forced upon us or something else is where, you know, it, it it's going to happen. And it's only because I've seen things, I've heard things like, you know, behind the scenes where guys like they're thinking 10, 15 years out, like even, I mean, I can't say anything about Kohler, but like, I guarantee you they have stuff in their inventory that they're working on behind the scenes that, is going to revolutionize industries, engine, you know, it could be something battery. It could be something, you know, mix, uh, who knows, but they're thinking long-term and that's where this data comes in. So even your mowers in the future, when you buy them, they're going to come with 
technology on them where it's pretty much mapping like a property. And I know I've had conversations with Mike about this and it kind of like blew my mind. Like what you're doing is actually creating the data, just like your little Roomba driving around your house. It's mapping out the square footage of your house. Then that gets uploaded to Google and now they have a, an entire imprint, imprint of the inside of your house. Well, we're going to be doing the same thing with lawns. And that's going to go on to online, the AI side of it. And then it's just going to get, our community is going to evolve and change a lot. You guys just have to pay attention and make sure you're not as reluctant to that change whenever it starts to happen. So I'm very reluctant against battery, but I'm also not dumb to realize like, you know, it's, it's going to happen. But Things that I've seen, things that I hear are coming, like our industry as a whole should be super excited because believe it or not, the green industry for a long time didn't get a lot of technology, a lot of uh, light shined onto it. But the world we live in now with, you know, you know, anybody can say whatever they want, you know, people that are super green over here or tree huggers, whatever you want to call them, this all shines a light onto our industry that makes us better as an industry. So the future is bright for the green industry, but just know as well, like there's going to be changes and it might be a change that maybe you don't foresee as, you know, like Jason says, you know, you know, he's more profitable with spraying a lawn. You can't put a value on how happy I am to stripe a lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like is, is spraying lawns as exciting as mowing the lawn? <laughs> I, I think maybe Jason's been inhaling a few Too of those chemicals. chemicals. <laughs> I, I would mow a yard and spray the same yard, and I was charging more to spray it. It took six minutes, and then I'd mow it. I'd mow it before and spray whatever. And the mowing, it'd take me an hour out there. I thought, what, what am I going to do? Spray this in six minutes or mow it for an hour? I mean, it was just it was a no brainer. But I I think y'all y'all should ride lawnmowers until you die. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at personally wise. Uh, you know, the future looks exciting. And like I've already shared, you know, thank you all for coming and participating. And, you know, I look forward to tomorrow where you guys can all get on equipment and have some fun outside. The question was, how much did it cost to transfer a lawn maintenance setup into a fertilization and weed control business? I mean, you you gotta basically have a spray rig. My spray rig costs like twelve thousand bucks. You can get one cheaper, but you know, I've had mine maybe eight years. It's a little Honda engine with a big fiberglass tank and a pump. I mean, virtually nothing has went wrong with it except the electric button that winds the reel in eight years. So I, I, I tell people that you're not gonna find a lawnmower that's gonna outproduce ROI than that sprayer. I mean, I not even close. And the less maintenance you do, I don't. It'll start bogging down a little bit, and I'll, I'll look at the air filter on the Honda engine. I'll like, I ain't changed that thing in about two years. You know, it'd be all clogged up. But, I mean, there's virtually nothing to go wrong. It's a big fiberglass tank and a Honda engine. So, I mean, it's – I bought a $12,000 uh, spray rig. You get a push spreader if you need to. Now, if you get in ride-on equipment and all that, but it's still cheaper than – and lawnmowers, you know, people, I think mowing people, they, they freak out. Yeah. $12,000 for a spray tank. They turn around buying $12,000 lawnmowers every three years. Cause there's broke. And you know, anyway, it, it lasts forever. It makes a lot of money. And I mean, all you do is just, if it starts wearing, you just change hoses and stuff like that. But there's, there's just not much to go wrong with it. How, 
Now that, I mean, they, you know, those get a little pricey. I was, I was just talking with somebody. Those are, those are expensive. Those are more expensive than lawnmowers. What's that now? Now, I have right on spreader spray. I'm saying, yeah, I mean, those are nice. Yeah, you don't have to have one of those. But, yeah, oh, I got a, right now I got like the old Ground Logic, which is now owned by Ferris. It's a, you know, I do a lot of small properties. But, yeah, if you, you want the new Z-Spray, what I, I was showed a quote the other day, 24000 bucks. Again, these, which is, is a lot, but the people that are riding them around, the amount of uh, money you make with that thing and, and saving your legs. So, you know, they, they produce a lot of income. So, Jason, in Alabama, because I, I'm speaking from perspective from an Ohioan, our herbicide pesticide licensing is strict. I mean, super strict, not cheap. How, how, is it reluctant in Alabama, or is it the same? Yeah, it's state to state. So, actually, Mississippi, from what I've been told, is one of the more challenging to get licensed in. Uh, you have to have, and in Florida, both. It's like three years uh, education or a certain amount of time. Um, somebody was talking about it at lunch. certain amount of experience under opera, years invested to get your license in Mississippi or Florida. What I've been told, though, is because of that, there's even less competition, and that's a you know good thing. This is not a spraying conference. I'm just, you know he just asked me the question, but uh, but you know there's less competition, so it's easier to get customers and things like. That. And in those states, it's even more difficult to get licensed, but it's, it's this whole barrier to entry. Once you get across the barrier, the barrier is a good thing. So um, Alabama, you know, we kind of we have rules in Alabama that you you take a test and you have to pass it and and you have anyway it's a little a little bit less uh but i mean they the regulations are a good thing i'm not anti regulation we do continuing education classes where we every year you have to get a certain amount of points thing i think a lot of that is going to be similar across the board so i mean you know Sometimes the chemical stuff gets you a little bit of bad rap because oh, you're putting chemicals. I understand all that. We we are doing training and there's restricted use pesticides and that. But the truth is, most of the stuff we're using, anybody can order on Amazon, with a few exceptions of products we use. People think those got this license to buy this product. Anybody can go buy the product. It's just we're trained to know how to not be an idiot with it. So most of the time, if you end up on the news because you killed all the bees in the the crepe myrtles or whatever, it's somebody that's a homeowner that doesn't know what they're doing. So, Okay. Uh, any, any other questions? The question was, how do you get commercial accounts? How do you get more commercial accounts? So what's worked for me is, believe it or not, just walking into a facility. So I look for facilities in my area that personally I think are not being taken care of properly. You know, if I'm driving by – I'm mowing one and next door to it, it's not looking as great. They're not picking up the trash. They're mowing it. That's immediate opportunity for us to to be able to go in there. So uh, don't take no, you know, as no forever. It could just be no right now and document everything. Go in, man. Just go in, talk to the girl at the front desk. Hey, can I give you a free estimate? No, we're not taking estimates right now. Okay. When are you accepting estimates? Uh, probably next, you know, September. Okay, come back outside, write down the business name, need to come back in September next year, come right back in. She might be there, she might not, but you'll get a lot of no's, but it just takes a few yeses. Uh, Commercial properties are very finicky as well because there's a lot of eyes. So they're not always as profitable, but they can be if you target the right ones. But what's worked for me, though, is just being, I, I don't take no for an answer. I'll keep coming back. 
and I'll keep coming back. And they can tell me no 50 times, but I'm still going to keep coming back. So you almost, you want to be somewhat annoying, but not overly annoying. Before we get into Mr. Jeremiah Jennings, very sounds like another debating question. Um, I just wanted to piggyback of what Jason was saying about the spring. Since he was throwing us under the bus as mowers, I'm going to retaliate just a little bit. So um, I think, it, like like he had said previously, though, it does come down to what you want from the business, right? So the reason we don't do any spring is because I never want to think about pesticides, chemicals, training guys, uh, the barrier of entry for, for training them, having three years of experience, all that. Like if we're in Washington State. You talk about tree huggers. These people are basically married to trees, and I'm not joking. Um, and so uh, I don't want to ever deal with that. Like I can't just like spin up four locations like we just did in the past couple weeks in North Carolina if I'm worrying about okay, are these guys trained correctly? Do they have the pesticide licenses? Um, and do they have enough credits and all this other stuff, right? So I think when you're talking about scaling up and having where you're never in operations, simplified services without all those barriers of training is is definitely. Uh, like, I would compare uh, it to like a steakhouse. You're going to make way better margin than on the steak at a steakhouse than what you're going to make in a McRib at McDonald's. However, at Mac- the McRib at McDonald's, they can get a 15-year-old to come in the back and flip the burgers and put it all together, whereas you're going to need a lot more training, experience, to have like a chef school and all the rest of it if you're going to create uh, a steakhouse. So it's not right or wrong. It's like, what do you want for the business? And for me, I'm trying to create the McDonald's model, right? It's like, I want things to scale and will work without me, take entry-level employees and make them very profitable. And so I'm going to take an entry level service like mowing. Not looking over there. <laughs> Mike, Mike just said that we control people are steaks and mowers are McRib sandwiches. <laughs> I just want to point out, I just want to point out, there's no steakhouse in the United States that's worth more than a billion dollars. And here we are, McDonald's, the McRibs, hundreds of billions of dollars. Boom. <laughs> Oh and, and Jason did just tell me he's never personally striped a lawn, so he doesn't know what it's like. Yeah, yep. You know, you can't judge. You know, judge us until you do it. Stripe the house. <laughs> Jeremiah, you got one. Go ahead. The question was how to price leaf uh, cleanups compared to lawn mowing. I'd go on an hourly rate for most. Now we do multiple different ways of leaf cleanups. If it's just a curbside pickup, it's going to be a flat rate for so many square feet, basically. So the customer will. They'll snap me a picture, send it to me. I can look at it just by kind of judging next to a car or whatever. I kind of know the size of it, and I can shoot them out a price, 150 200 whatever. We're going to be there a matter of 10 minutes or less anyways, and then moving on. So it's really figuring out how you're going to do the leaf cleanups, what your overhead's going to have, because like my my leaf box that we just sold off, I mean, that was a $30,000 investment. So it's a lot more overhead compared to somebody that's going to take a tarp rake them onto the tarp and then drag them into the woods, if you know what I'm saying. But every leaf job is different. Price it by the hour or, you know, charge them at least a dollar a leaf. You know, you'll, you'll come out ahead. You guys didn't laugh at that? Like, that was actually pretty good. You guys are tired. Yeah, so we have a, we have a limit on our square footage that if it hits a certain level, we'll basically have to send a, uh, an estimator out there. Um, and it, all of our locations have a different, whatever that range is, because for some people, the average lot size is 20, 30,000 square feet. We don't mow anything that large, like in our area. Um, that's why we use 21-inch push mowers, right? So um, there's definitely a cap to where uh, we would then send an estimator out. But we have properties that pay $1,600 for us to come out to their large property and use a 21-inch mower, right? So um, that, ha- that has happened. Um, what was the first part again? Sorry. Oh, charging for estimates. Yeah, we, we, we have what we call an e-fee. We don't charge it to them prior to coming, we would only do that if we're trying to limit the leads. Like if you're just overwhelmed with work, great strategy is 
we charge 50 bucks. That has to go through on your card. And then once you've done that, we'll come out and visit the property. And if the estimate is accepted, we'll put that $50 toward the bid. Um, that's a great way to keep yourself from being so busy during spring rush. That's a great strategy. Um, we charge e-fees year-round, though. Uh, we just don't charge it on the upfront. So it's baked into our overhead recovery on the back end. I'm not going to talk about pricing and all that stuff, but like we charge an e-fee between um, some of our locations do as low as 20 or 30. We do $100 per line item of an estimate if we come to the property. And that covers the cost of all our office admin. So command center for them, as well as the estimator going out and actually visiting the property. It's an actual cost. So like we should be charging for it. Um, but we don't do on the upfront very often unless we're trying to li- limit and reduce leads. I hope you guys picked up what Mike was saying in his speech as well. With, you know, he broke down his numbers and showed us what it cost him to, you know, to get a lead acquisition. And that's not a guaranteed customer. What was it, like 120, 150 something? If you can do that online, right there, you're ahead of your competition that has no idea. They can do estimates over the phone right there with Google Pro. We use a different software, but there's many out there. But just think right there, if your competition's forking out 100 to 150 bucks for every lead, and you're sitting back on your computer just you know, using your mental capacity and learning a little bit, I mean, yeah, you won't be able to do that for every single one, but say you can do it for eight out of 10 and you only have to drive out the two that you can't happen to see a good picture online or something, I mean, you're knocking them out of the park compared to your com- competition. Something I just wanted to add about leaves. Uh, if you don't know, I, I can't stand leaves, leaf cleanups and all that kind of stuff. It was something that I stopped doing early on because I got completely destroyed doing it because I didn't know how to do it, how to price it and all that and the right tools and all that. But I've, I've, come, I've learned a lot through the community and going to my local uh, competitors and, and peers and mentors and checking out their setups and, and learning a lot from them, put it, put it all out on social media too. So I've kind of conquered that. But what I've decided to do over the years is stop being lawn care for hire and just make sure that everyone that comes in is a, a yearly client and they sign up for multiple services at a minimum. Um, a couple of things I get to do uh, more with less. And another thing is when it comes to leaves, it allows me to adjust and pivot quickly on a client's yard if we miscalculated how long it was going to take or what equipment we needed versus a one-time leaf cleanup that you just you just end up screwing yourself on because you just misjudged something or there's dead squirrels in there that you didn't know or whatever the deal is. So uh, <laughs> if you know, you know. But so that, that that's just one, that's just a totally different perspective of how I've kind of taken that all on so that I don't have to worry about doing all that kind of stuff. So people don't, when people call me for aeration, for aeration season or mulch or this or that, I'm like, nope, you have to sign up for yep, our yearly clients, get that all worked into the, uh, to the agreement. If you want to sign up? We don't do like that. The whole, uh, like I said, lawn care for hire anymore. So that's just my take and perspective. And it's really helped us really dial in the numbers and make sure we have the right staff and the right equipment and be hundred percent serviceable for all of our clients. Cool. Thank you guys. This has been an LCR Media and Mr. Producer production. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.